Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is the place to connect to who you truly are. We're bringing PhDs, experts, and leaders to help you elevate your mindset in your work life and in your love life so that you can see things differently and truly love your world. I'm Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, author, and TEDx speechwriter and booker, and I'm excited to bring you in to this week's episode. All right, U-Turn friends, you asked, you get. I don't know if you remember, our top downloaded episode is John Wineland. He talks about creating and keeping sexual chemistry. Why do you lose that spark? Why do you keep that spark? And that episode, I've had so many people message me about. And I just feel like this is something that the work that he does is stuff that we are struggling with working with all the time. So if you don't know him, John Wineland's a speaker. He's a teacher. He leads men and he leads women in the practices of embodied masculine leadership, spiritual intimacy, and sexual polarity. John, he travels the world everywhere, you know, just teaching his vision around embodied men's work, deep relational practice. And he created the new men's work project in 2014. He's had men all over the world that are looking to develop as leaders in their relationship, in their communities. So today we're going to talk about masculine and feminine energy, how to really get clear on what you want in a relationship, and just three ways to have sex, like physical, emotional, energetic. We're also going to just talk about what does it mean to be devotional. So grab your pen because I'm about to go wild on this. Welcome, John. Thank you for coming back. Thank you, Ashley. Good to be here again. Yeah, I I feel like I probably asked you on our last episode, which honestly was like a half decade ago. So wild. But what's been present for you when you look at the work you're doing now and why you really do it? Like, why is this so important to you? Like, why does this matter so much for you? Mm. I think there's a, you know, there's a very personal piece of that, which is, you know, coming from a broken family where my father wasn't really involved and where there wasn't, you know, where there wasn't really a family, the family unit that we had for a short period of time dissipated really fast. And, you know, the wound of that, I'm sure, has something to do with my drive to help people in relationship. And, you know, they say that the wound becomes the gift. And I certainly feel like that's part of my experience. But also, too, I just, I love, you know what I mean? If you looked at my, you looked at my astrological chart, you'd see I have a bunch of, I have planets in Venus, planets in Taurus, you know, planet, you know, lots of stuff in Virgo. You know what I mean? I'm very, I'm built to teach about love and relationships. And so it just kind of worked out that this is the Dharma that unfolded for me as I went into my own practice. And the more I go into it, the more things like personal, like, like deep personal expression within relationship is a topic that I'm very passionate about. Creating repair in relationships is something I see a lot of people struggle with. And that has to do with the devotion topic that you brought up. Mm. And then also, of course, you know, creating like sublime sexual chemistry with somebody. That's a, that's an art that I'm very passionate about. It's so, such needed topics. And I don't want to even call them taboo because that feels weird given the era that we're in right now as a, a world. I feel like we're more open, but. I still think people have a lot of shame in really bringing these things up because they can feel really threatening. Like what Mm. woman wants to go to girls night out and talk about how her and her partner don't want to have sex anymore? Because I think some of that is 
admitting that to herself. And then there's the lack of resources or understanding of how to fix it or. Yeah. Yeah. And we're also evolving beings. Like maybe those two people that entered into commitment aren't the same two people that yeah. want to stay in commitment. So sometimes yeah. I guess that's a reflection of it. Okay. My, my first question is around devotion because I have found amongst my friends that there's some of us who want to stay too long in something that isn't right, like over yeah. overly devoted. And I don't know if that's what devotion means for you. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's other women, and I might be one of them, maybe, <laughs> who like I'm a Gemini, I love my freedom, and I'm torn because sometimes I look at my past relationships and I think to myself, this itch in me that wanted to get out was wisdom. It wasn't me just not being devotional. It was this wisdom that this wasn't the right partnership mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. And I'm 36. I've made it to an age where like I haven't quote unquote settled, whatever that means. Yeah. And I know what I want and I don't think I'm being delusional about it. And okay. so these little inklings that have made me exit, I think have just been these wise parts of me. So when I think about the topic of devotion, and then I think about alignment, and I think about overgiving, so any of this, I would just love some thoughts from you on maybe yeah. who are too devoted, not devoted enough, like any of that. Yeah, so those are really great distinctions to make, right? And yeah. and there's a big difference between devotion and codependency, yeah. or devotion and alignment. And alignment is, of course, required to enter into any, you know, is not required, uh, optimal. If it was required, we'd have much less divorce. But, but it's optimal if you're going to go into a long-term relationship with somebody. Obviously, do you both want to have kids? Do you want to live in the same city? Do you want to live together? Do you want? You know, I mean, like having alignment. You know, are you know, are you aligned in terms of you know personal values? Like alignment is incredibly important, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of couples will run into trouble because there will be love. They will love each other, but they just absolutely are misaligned in terms of how they want to live their lives. Yeah. And so that's a, that's, I wouldn't say it's a deal breaker, but it certainly is a level of complexity and difficulty. You know, it's the difficulty level way up here. So codependency is, I think, what you're talking about, which is where we, I think there are two reasons why people stay too long, just to address that head okay. on, right? Yeah. The first reason is, yeah, they, they they tend to, yes, want to, how can I put this? They don't own the truth that they've probably known for a while, right? They don't truly own the truth and they're constantly trying to, you know, care for the other or cater to the other's potential versus reality. And so they will stay in that place of potentiality or of not wanting to have the hard, difficult conversations, not wanting to break somebody's heart, not wanting to go out on their own. You know what I mean? There's a big sense of, you know, there's a, a kind of codependency, but it's really not owning your heart's truth. And I think the real reason people don't, people stay too long, and this is, you know, somewhat controversial, is because they haven't given it all and they know it. Mm. And they thought they've given it all, or they've given it all based on the skill set that they know that they brought. But there's a part of them that knows I could love more. I could be more. And love more doesn't mean to coddle. Right. You know, it means to express. It means to be true. It means all of the things, right? From and so one of the ways to look at relationship, one of the things I tell people is, okay, here's what I see 
here's where I would see you withholding. Here's where I see you not sharing your truth. Here's where I see you being dingy, let's Mm. say. Here's where I see you not being devotional. What would happen if for a few months you gave everything you had to this person that's likely a good person? I mean, I'm not talking about narcissists and I'm not talking about abusive people. I'm talking about, you know, good people. What would happen if you gave it all? And what I tell them is that either they will change to meet your devotion and your depth and your generosity, either they will be inspired or they won't. And you will have known that you gave it all and then you can leave. And so most people live in this kind of muted, numb, I'm kind of giving, I'm a five or a six and what I'm giving and they're a five or a six. And we're just kind of tolerating this mediocrity of connection and of depth of sex. And it's kind of comfortable and it's safe and we live together and then I'd have to move and I'd have to date again. And you know what I mean? And well, fuck, well, you know, why don't I just kind of hang here? And, and I get it. I've certainly just done that too. Yeah, Shit yeah. Fucks. I've yeah. certainly done that too. So yeah, it's, a, it, it's an important distinction. So if you really give it all for a period of time, at the end of that, the worst thing that's going to happen is you'll know that it's time to walk away because you've really given it all. I think some people withhold, like it's almost like they don't want to pour themselves into somebody because they have a belief that it's not the right person to pour it into. And it's interesting because I think there's such a difference between a connection and a relationship. Like people overvalue connection sometimes, but they, there's no investment there. There's no relationship built. And mm-hmm. sometimes they look at the connection and think, wow, this is something I need to pause for and and move around my life for. When it's really the relationship, two people mutually investing and building and creating something that is bigger than what it was as just a spark or an understanding of each other initially. Well, that's where devotion comes in. That's really what devotion is, right? The building, right? Yeah, it's the building, it's the generosity. To be devotional to the relationship means you're putting the relationship first, Yeah. right? Means your devotion... You're, so when you think about the difference between devotion and codependency or devotion and staying too long, you got to think that oftentimes devotion is a moment to moment. It's a texture of love. It's a, my partner is triggered and my partner is stressed and my partner's de, you know, deregulated, their nervous system's deregulated. What can I do to be devotional to them so that I can take them, I can use my body, my breath, my practice, my presence, my love to bring them out of their sympathetic and into their parasympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system, which is where love's blossoms. Really secure attachment with somebody, like being able to be aware of where their anxiety is. And, and it's not being codependent and sidestepping it, but like having that awareness. Yeah. Yeah. You could say, you could make the argument like, oh, fuck it. They can do it themselves. They're big boys and big girls. But you know, but show me somebody who doesn't get downregulated or dysregulated in their relationship, in a fight, you know? And so what devotion means is that I'm putting your nervous system ahead of mine for the time being. But that requires that I'm downregulating my own nervous system so that I can downregulate yours. Like I can't be a hot mess and then make you feel better, right? I have to be I have to be, I have to ground and I have to open my heart and I have to do the actual things that create embodied uh, downregulation of a nervous system. When somebody does that, when they're more devotional to 
their partner's full expression than them being right. Mm. When they're more uh, devotional to their partner's nervous system being downregulated than them getting their way, those devotional moments happen. You know, those are moments, right? It's not, it, it, regardless of whether you stay in the relationship or whether, you know, decide that this is the one you want to spend the rest of your life with, that's just a way to love that I think is crucial and important. And so there's all these different ways that we can express devotion. One is being, you know, committed to repair, mm-hmm. right? What, you know, opening up hard conversations and creating space for our partner's full expression. Yeah. I'm devotional to my partner's full expression, even if I don't like what she has to say. Mm-hmm. I'm devotional to our relationship by, you know, by changing my lifestyle to, to serve the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so devotion has all these very, we can get into the different aspects of it. But I think the big thing is for the moment to be more, more uh, devotional to them and what they need to kind of relax into love than what you would want based on patterns and wounds. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. And I feel like, you know, once I had a partner who, and an amazing partner, because I've always been attracted to partners who have a lot of mission and purpose, like I've, you know, and I think a lot of women sometimes, and I'm talking in such gender normative terms, because it's really the scope of what I personally understand. But a lot of the women I know are attracted to very successful men, but I've, I have no attraction if they're not happy because they feel dysregulated and I feel unsafe. Yeah. Sure. What you're talking about. Yeah. It's interesting because a partner that I had that was building a company and we parted ways because I didn't feel like he was devotional to the relationship. Like he yeah. had so much with the company. He said in a message to me and I just popped it open. He said, one of your most powerful and unique gifts is that you know how to invigorate all that you do with a really big kind of love. You feed the universe around you with love. And when you allow yourself to be in a flow, you make magic happen. I know you wanted and needed that big love for me. And I genuinely tried, but I wasn't able to get it to where I can make you feel that big flowing sort of love for me. I'm Mm. sorry I couldn't do it. Yeah. So what makes me want to share that, you know, is that I feel like there are a lot of people who have a capacity to love in a really big way. And I'm one of them. I believe in the devotion and I love it so much. And I'm the one that exits, right? I'm the one that ends things. I'm the one that, but I think I've just been attracted to people that don't have the capacity or interest in devotion like I do. Can we talk a little bit about capacity? Because you you talk about regulating and I've met a lot of men who want to be devotional, but they're not. And You know, I've had the most beautiful, I I guess I have a reputation amongst my flings for having beautiful endings, you know, like very mature ending conversations. I got a fling I had a few months ago, told a friend, I've never had such a beautiful partying with somebody, but I constantly. That's a form of devotion. Yeah. 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 That's a form of that. That's, you know, rather than dumping your disappointment or your judgments or your, you know, on to, because maybe you had something, but rather than do that, you took care of their nervous system to a point where they are now talking and you, you actually changed their life in a certain way. Mm. Now they have an experience of an ending that's not just, you know, blown up in craziness. Yeah. That would, that's an example of a devotional act. That's okay. So then that makes me want to ask you more about for anyone who's listening and thinking like, okay, I got to be more devotional us really taking a look at what number one, what are all the ways that, that can look? Cause I know you touched mm-hmm. on that. 
But then number two, can, are some people just not cut out to be devotional? Because no, no, that's bullshit. It's like, it's like it's not everybody can learn to play guitar. So then you got fingers. Don't choose it. They don't want to choose. They, they they don't know that it's a skill. They don't know that it's a, a skill is a, a very masculine word. Art. It's an art. So the art of being devotional is absolutely something that you can learn and practice. I mean, I teach, you know, 10 workshops a year on this subject, you know, and I'm writing books on it, you know, but it's, we don't realize, we think that it's something that just materializes when we have the right one Mm -hmm. or, you know, or we've, you know, nourished ourselves enough, right? Then we'll feel devotional today because we're in a good space, right? No, devotion is one of those things that it's a practice. It's an art that can be mastered, you know, improved upon at least, you know, and developed. And, you know, devotion could be everything from like literally sitting in front of your partner and widening your heart space. It could be, again, feeling where they're at in terms of their dysregulation or their stress and putting your hands on them or speaking words of safety to Mm -hmm. them. So for example, if you're in a fight with your partner and you can feel it's the thing that triggers them the most, whatever that subject is. Yeah. And instead, you know, instead of getting into the meat of the content, you work on the nervous system first. Wow. So you put your hands on their legs and you go, I'm here, baby. I want to work this out with you. I love you. I'm not going anywhere, right? You're the one for me. And, you know, here's the thing that I need in this moment. And here's what I'm seeing that you need in this moment. And so there's a softening of the eyes. There's a, what tantric practice is, an easy way to think about it is I'm using my body and my breath and my gaze and just my energetic body to impact yours. Mm. It could be a sexual impact to open, blast open. It could be a down-regulation impact. It could be an enlivening impact. You could walk in the door and do a cheer in front of your partner and you'd immediately enliven them. We're just stingy. Okay, so a couple things about that. Number one, I want to talk about the early stages. There's so, I mean, if we had a penny for every book that has rules about the early stages of dating, like you, we would both buy another house today. So I I never read them. Yeah, exactly. Charm. So I, my nervous system needs me to be me. And that's why I've written books about being yourself. And, Mm. you know, I don't know if I even mentioned you, I write people's TED Talks and get them booked on stage. So I'm committed to people being people and me being me. And Mm -hmm. I have found that in the early stages of getting to know someone and this attachment stuff can apply to friendship as much as relationship. Obviously, Mm -hmm. we're talking about the romantic arena in some way. I've really struggled with what I think I should be doing, which versus what I want to do, because what I want to do is just be fully me, which means I'm really consistent. I don't have a honeymoon period. I don't have a fall off. Like what you get from me is what you're getting from me. And I look at my friendships and that's the case. I always tell them, I'm like, we didn't have a honeymoon. We just thought each other was cool as shit and we kept it up. And so... I think that we live in a world where there's these honeymoon periods and these dopamines and all the little situations that are happening in the magic school bus that is our psyche and whatever's going on in there with love. Is there such a thing as being too devotional when somebody hasn't earned it from you? Do we earn the devotion from someone or do you show up with the love? 
No, I think that's, I think that is a trap. Okay. Because people are constantly that, because then we're constantly keeping score of, do they deserve my full blast of loves? Right. Right. And I would argue if you're sexual with somebody, if you're sleep, if you're intimate with somebody in a consistent way, then they, they've earned it. You know what I mean? They, they earn your love. And, yeah. and yet I constantly see, and especially seen it in women keeping score as to how much I want to love, how much I want to open. And it happens with men too, but I see it more in women. Yeah. And, and again, I'm like you talking in a heteronormative space because that's right. 95% of the people that I work with. But this is a human, the human tendency is to defend. Mm. It's to defend. Yeah. And it takes something. It takes an intention. It takes intention and energy and focus to do the opposite. Now, oftentimes we will be flooded with hormones or, you know what I mean? And, and it kind of happens in a natural state, but that state for most people wears off. There are, you know, a lot of things that happen in the first six months of relating that are very hormonal, very yeah. brain chemistry, you know, dopamine, oxytocin, all that stuff. It's really a decision of how loving you want to be in your relationships and a leap of faith yeah. That if you do that, you're going to evoke from other the best they have. Mm -hmm. You're going to evoke from other the best they have, and you're going to magnetize better and better experiences. And, and I happen to not only believe that myself, but I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in thousands of people that I've worked with. You know, it's just, it's one of those things, but still it's hard to believe. Yeah, it it's is. hard to believe. It's it a is. leap of faith. Yeah. yeah, because you you technically don't fully know someone, right? It's to know someone is to experience them over time and to see different does things. Does that matter? Does that matter? This is my question, and it's we talk. We live in a world of red flags, and you know, you know, the person that I'm seeing now, you know, he's mentioned that he's been avoided before, and I'm like, is that a red flag? And he's, but I'm aware of it, and I'll let, and let me know if I'm doing it. It's we just live in this cautious world where sometimes yeah. it just feels so scary to love that we sell ourselves so fucking short. And we co-create these withholding patterns. And, you know, I'm at dinner with girlfriends and they're all different. They're, every person is like a planet of their own, right? If I go oh. over to Jenny's planet, on her planet, her husband's still chasing her. He's a surgeon and she's totally a babe and a butterfly. And she's like traveling the world. And he, she kind of gets off on this idea that he's always trying to be with, like trying to catch her. But they're married. And I'm like, oh my God, that sounds exhausting. I'm like the most, I'm, I'm not a butterfly, whatever the opposite. I'm just sitting there, like I'm available. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess when somebody is listening to this, I would imagine they could look at the palette of who they've been in their partnership right now. This conversation with you and I could be an opportunity for them to say, who have I been? And how devotional have I been? How much giving of myself have I been? So important. Can you change that? Because- some people are going to just spiritually bypass and say, this is just me. Like, I am who I am. And that's just them. And they can't do it either. What if they well, want to do an upheaval? It's just, this just me. This is just who I am is a crock of shit. Yeah. Okay. Here's why. Because who we are is a collection of patterns and habits that most of the time we are absolutely unconscious about. Most of the time, we're absolutely unconscious when our heart, when somebody does something that we perceive as a threat and we close. 99% of that time, we're unconscious. Maybe later we'll get it or in a few minutes we'll get it. But in the moment it's happening, we're unconscious to most of our patterns. 
Now, you know, that's changing with a lot of people. A lot of people are trying their best, you know, they're in groups, but most of our patterns are still unconscious. Who I am is the collection of my patterns. I would argue that who we are at our core is unconditional love and expansive consciousness. That's who we are, right? Everything else has been a blockade to the full transmission and expression of it. So what that means is that we get a chance to, let's just assume everybody's fucked up. Yeah, fair. (laughs) I'm fucked up. You're fucked up. I've been doing work for, you know, 25 years. I'm still all fucked up, right? You know what I mean? Like we're all crazy. Yeah. And we're all wounded and we're all traumatized and we're all damaged. And so to expect that some that that is not going to show up in your relationship is naive. And so choose the kind of crazy that you want to love. Right. Maybe you want to love an avoidant man, and that's the work that you're gonna do, right? Maybe you don't. Yeah, you bet I'm saying, but choose, you know, choose the kind of crazy. I am very difficult to live with and and I love <laughs> that my partner has chosen my crazy to love. And you know, it's I this one of the freedoms we've gotten is in in humanity is that we don't need to be together anymore. You don't need me for money or for, you don't need me to protect you with my gun and you know what I mean? My rifle, right? I don't need you to make kids and you know, that are going to work the farm for me. I mean, and this is new. Yeah. 200 years is nothing in the, in the history of humanity. So it's brand spanking new that we don't need each other. And so now we're in this space of, oh shit, like I could have anything I want. I could create any relationship I want. And so we've gotten almost, I want to say too picky because that's not the right word. It, we've gotten, is it entitled? Is it, is it? Sometimes maybe it's, yeah, I think there's. Yeah, yeah maybe there is. Here's the, I, the question I get all the time. And I just did a, I just did some, a video on this is how do I attract the one for me? I get some yeah. version of that. Or how do I attract that out of the partner that I have? Yeah. And my answer is what is valuable to them? Mm. What would be about if the man you want is available and a king and on purpose and you know what I mean and grounded and devotional to to love right what would that person find incredibly valuable what would they find so nourishing what textures what energies what traits what would they find and then get busy doing that so get then bus- what do you say to the person that's like all these things they need aren't me you expecting that person to love you and want to be with you for a long time is absolute ridiculousness. Right. Why would somebody, yeah, I, I'm with you because you have something that I value very deeply. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the moment, and this is where the entitlement comes in. That saying of, oh, they should just love me. The king who has all these things should just love me because I'm me. Right. Come on. Come on. Right. I mean, why would he? If your heart is closed or you're defensive or you never take responsibility for your part or you gaslight him or you are like unaware of all of your patterns, why would a king want that? Why would a queen want a guy who has no purpose and plays video games half the day, no matter how cute he is? It's a really simple answer that most people just don't want to hear is what would your king or queen or person find incredibly valuable and then get honest with yourself? about how valuable you are and how valuable, like you mentioned this earlier, and it's such a great practice to go back over our relationships, 
and go, where was I not devotional? Where was I gaslighting? Where was I withholding? Where was I, where did I make her wrong for her feelings? Mm-hmm. Where did I, you know, where did I make him wrong? Where did I gaslight him and make it never enough? He never gave me enough. It was never enough. You know, those are important things to go back and take inventory on as a first step in changing those patterns. Mm-hmm. And so in my groups, I, I take people through a long reconciliation that's going back over the 10 years of relationships and get really honest about where were you, this and this. And then if you can go back and fix it and, and apologize, go do that. And now with this new karmic awareness, step into devotion in the best way you can. Wow. And I feel like we live in a world where if I show up in a new relationship and I'm like, I want to devote myself all the way to you. I feel like we have people who will be scared. And then there's other people that are going to be like, fuck yeah, let's yeah. do something good. And I feel yeah. like those are rare little creatures out there that, you know, maybe I'm in scarcity or maybe you think they're everywhere. Oh, I see a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, look, the, part of being an artist is like knowing how to modulate your art, right? You know what I mean? You know, a singer on stage isn't screaming at the top of their lungs, you know, all the time, right. right? There's a modulation based on what your partner's nervous system can take. So maybe you have this thing of, ooh, he's the one, like, he's the one, mm-hmm. right? And, but you're not withholding, but you're not overblasting either. Right. It could be something as simple as, I'm just like totally fucking gooey and spaced out whenever you're around. Yeah. And I just feel so safe with you and thank, you know, it could just be acknowledgement Without, yeah. you're the one, let's do it. Yeah. Let's have babies tomorrow. You know what I mean? There's art. I love, you know? there's not just art, there's process. And I love this idea. Sure. There's such dignity to process. And I think that, mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes, okay, so this is switching me into masculine, feminine energy. Can you share how you define it? Because I know some people associate it with gender when it's not. I also think that like mm-hmm. my feminine in me sometimes knows things that the masculine doesn't. And I'm in an experience where I have to hold information because mm-hmm. it's like my feminine attunement feels it. And yeah. like, well, oh, you're the one, you're not. It's I know these things and I have to sit with it until the, you know, the other person catches that too. So yeah, can you talk a little bit about those energies and, and how to kind of curate a relationship that flows in a way that you want them to with it? That's a huge subject that I could never do give, you know, know. give credence to in a small conversation, but... I, you know, I wrote a chapter in a book where I, I talk about the masculine feminine continuum. There's a spectrum, right? We all have, so think of it this way. The closer to, we all have a part of us that's empty and still. There's a part of our heart that is deep and infinite and still. And then there's a part of our heart that is beating madly and has all kinds of emotional energies and experience. But the root of the heart, the, there's also a part of the heart, the deepest part of the heart, where many spiritual, you know, practices believe consciousness lies, the soul lies, and the root of consciousness is there. And so the part of us that is empty still craves peace, craves an ending of things. You know, you could think of just the natural world and the phenomenological world as having both a vast, empty, still, unchanging infinite space 
and then having a always changing, always moving, always expressing, always growing, always destroying, always birthing space, right? And the more we are associated, so we, and we all have both of those things in our human form, right? The part of us that's never changed, the part of us that is the same now as we were when we were born, even before we were born. And then the part of us that has done nothing but change. Mm -hmm. The changing, moving, feeling, experiencing part of us is the feminine. And the part of us that just, that is more at home in stillness, vastness, peace, emptiness is our masculine. Mm. And, and we all have both. It's mm -hmm. not gender specific. It's not sexual. There's no, you know, it, it has no sexual identity. These are, you know, you could be a gay man who is totally masculine oriented and, or you could be, you know, a trans person who is very feeling and much more like, let's call it 70 or 80% on the feminine spectrum. Mm -hmm. So if you think of a black hole, like mm -hmm. the epitome of nothing as one side of the masculine spectrum, and you think of an exploding star mm -hmm. as the feminine side of that spectrum, there's everything from mountain to oak tree to bamboo to rushing river to, you know what I mean? The spectrum just goes from one side to the other. Mm. We have all of that living within us. Mm. And the more we consciously embody, activate, express those things. So if I was going to come into, if, I guess an easy way to describe this is masculinity is just a transmission mm. of grounded depth and consciousness. At its core. Under so if... I mean, an exploding yeah. star, John. I mean, that sounds pretty it, unstable to me. Yeah, it's just <laughs> the ex full expression of energy, right. right? Right. You know, we think of energy as the feminine and we think of emptiness as the masculine or stillness as the masculine. Mm -hmm. There's a there's even atoms, Ashley, even atoms. When you drill down to the core of an atom, there's empty space and there's energy. Mm -hmm. That's it. So this is not, this is the universality, right? These are universal uh, phenomenon. So if, but if I walked into, if I walked into a room and I was really grounded and connected to the deepest part of my heart and in kind of a clear stillness, I would occur to those around me as masculine. Mm, mm, mm. If I was in the room and I was flamboyant and I came in dancing and I, it doesn't matter, man or woman, other, right? And I was dancing, I was expressing, I would occur as more in my feminine. And, and of course, this is a framework that take what you like and leave the rest. Right. Just a, it's a useful framework for understanding this dynamic of polarity mm. and how the opposite of one attracts the opposite of the other. And when you, like two, two poles of a battery, when you charge each one up, when you make the negative pole and the positive pole stronger, Mm -hmm. meaning I'm more in my masculine, I'm more in my feminine, then the arc of energy gets stronger. Mm -hmm. And then that's, sex that's what sexual polarity is. So I feel like in this world, sometimes people can package sharing how you feel, which I would assume is feminine energy, like being in the feelings mm -hmm. as needy. You know, I also look at feminine as like intuitive, receptive, aware. I guess masculine is very aware and grounded in its own way too. But yeah. What do you say to people who maybe have gotten that in relationships or maybe they've heard you've got a lot of energy and or maybe I'm projecting, but I've got a lot of life force energy. I love to be alive. I'm like 95% of the time pretty fucking happy. 
you know, it's not like I'm toxically positive 5%. I'll hang out in my sad, but it's just not very present. And sometimes people will be like, are you ever, I guess one of my good friend's partners was like, I moved back to LA from New York and I was saying, yeah, I'm grieving New York. I had a whole life there and I'm happy to be home. But Mm. I guess he told his partner like, wow, I've never seen Ashley in sadness. Mm. It's comforting to realize she's a human. Just anything around having a lot of energy, what does that, is there any meaning in that when it comes to masculine energy, feminine energy, and just neediness? Sorry, I'm asking you compound questions. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'll try to tease those apart. Let's just say first that we all, again, we all have both and they're always in this, in this process of integration, mm-hmm. right? So the, the deepest kind of embodied practice is what I would call like a maximum connection to awareness, which is the, ma- the masculine gift is awareness, right? Mm-hmm. The feminine gift is feeling, right? If you put together awareness and sensitivity together, you have an integrated masculine and feminine. Mm-hmm. And that means I'm feeling and I'm expressing, but I'm also aware at what that's doing to the room and the people around. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you got to think that these are, these. Th- this is yin and yang, right? This is the, you know, this is the latent and the manifest. This is, you know, Shiva Shakti, you know, you name it. The, there's constantly, we're constantly, in and and what embod- good embodiment practice teaches us is we get to choose like palettes, like an artist's palette, like what kind of sensitivity or feeling or expression do we want to use in this moment to create more love? Or do we want to bring more depth and awareness to deepen a moment? And we get to choose as artists, you know, what kind of where we want to be in that spectrum. And we can only do that if we've practiced both of those kinds of, you know, be creating more sensitivity, more awareness, sensitivity just means that I can feel you and I can feel the space like a ninja would, like ninjas mm. spend their whole lives getting sensitive to a space yeah. or an animal bite. Right. And I'm bringing awareness of what the space needs mm. to be more free, more open, more in love. And you bring those two things together and you have a very valuable practitioner. It sounds like almost a conscious person is like a thermostat for a room. It's can be. like holding a room in a way. It's like they have the sensitivity to the people around them, to themselves. They have awareness. I read some statistic and I have no idea how you find this research that 85% of the population is not aware or self-aware, which to be honest, I was just on an airplane the other and I'm like, well, I'm believing this 85% statistic I've seen. Not to be a spiritual snob, but but I I guess what you say around things like neediness, like being comfortable sharing how you feel being called needy. Also, okay, wait, I'll pause there because you know I have 500 other questions. Let me address neediness. So neediness is great. Who doesn't have needs? Yeah. There's no problem with with having needs. I need you to not yell at me when you're upset. I need you to, you know, whatever your needs are in relationship, the needs itself aren't the problem. It's the habit of expressing the needs that are the problem. So if we learn to be, and this goes to the very beginning of our conversation, if we learn to be artful in how we communicate, our needs land much cleaner for people. Mm -hmm. So 
So it's if, if we can communicate our needs without blame, for example, I have a need that doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. I have a need and I totally get that you've been trying to meet it. I have, it doesn't always have to be this kind of, you know, concil, recon, you know, conciliatory, but if we can share our needs without it becoming something that is uh, a, a finger pointing, which 90% of the time when we do, there's always that, and you're not meeting it. Yeah, right. And you're not Never, giving you it. always. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. But if, if, if we can get artful at, and there's all kinds of ways, there's all kinds of communication techniques to share needs. Um, there's also one of the things I teach people a lot is how to go, how to be with your own needs first before you express it to a partner. So for example, if we're, we're in a fight and, and you're needing me to, to, you're needing me to do something so you feel more safe, right? You have a need to be safe, right? So I, you could, in that moment, feel your own heart in your heart, like literally go into the tissues of your heart and feel, I need to feel safe. So now you aren't abandoning yourself. You're literally with your own heart's need, physically, in awareness, but you're feeling yourself, you're in, you're meeting your own need. Mm-hmm. Then you could look at your partner and say, you know, in order for me to feel more safe, I would need you to stop yelling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're saying it, you're meeting your own need first, like you're literally owning your own heart, feeling your own heart's needs, not judging it, not putting it on them. Then you're just clearly expressing what you would need. Most of the time when people do that, oh, here's another way. You could do that. And without saying anything, you could then feel what he needed in that moment. Maybe he needs to feel just your best guess. You probably know if you're in a relationship, he probably needs to be recognized or appreciated or seen. Mm-hmm. I have my heart. I need to feel, I need to feel safe, inarguable, inarguable need, right? Mm-hmm. Who can argue that? And he needs to be recognized. And so you feel his heart. This is a getting yogic now, right? But I've done this. I have put people in front of each other through your heart. You then feel his heart need. Mm-hmm. And you just start to be with each other's in that space of the, the true need with mm-hmm. no, might take 10 seconds, 20 seconds. It doesn't take long. And you're just feeling each other from that place. And that down regulates both of your nervous systems, both of your nervous systems. And now if you speak, you might say, what do you need right to him? Mm-hmm. And, you know, or he might say it to you, whatever. The, the point is that most of our, most of what gets labeled as our neediness mm-hmm. is not the need. It's the inability to communicate those needs. And it's the way that we abandon our own needs first. Like we abandon our own heart yeah. and we abandon our own body and we'll disassociate or we'll blame rather than to be with like, oh, what is it that I need? I, I need to feel safe. Right. I need to be recognized. We won't actually, when we do that, we're looking to somebody else to do what we should be doing for ourselves first. Right. You know, I love this. And I, I feel like there's certain traits that my own subconscious has believed is masculine or feminine, right? Like you hear neediness and you hear, you, I think of the wounded feminine and 
judgments of like just a, a, a slew of a, a tidal wave of emotions that are pushed onto someone or something. I also used to, I'm, I value humor a lot and I don't always show it on this show because I'm so inter- like stimulated by people, but like any friend of mine who's with me for more than an hour, if I'm not funny at all, they're just like, what's wrong? Mm. And I always have thought, is it masculine for me to be funny? Do you have thought on that? This is just a question because we're talking about neediness. Now I want to talk about humor. Yeah. So, so it's very, you know, my teacher, a man named David Data, made the argument, and I think it's a really, it's a really cool argument that conscious, that the comedy is just consciousness expressed. Yeah. But let's break that down a little bit. So being able to be aware, like, oh, this would be fucking funny if I said this right now, that takes awareness. But the expression of it takes the capacity to express the feminine. So the masculine, oh, I'm aware like this would actually be really funny. And sometimes it happens in a split second. And then the feminine is the expression. So it's again, it's that beautiful integration of both. And once we get to be good, like true comedians aren't or basketball players or pianists or anybody who's a great artist isn't thinking play a G. It's just happening because they've integrated that awareness and sensitivity so powerfully that it's just flows. It's, it's yeah. a flow state. It's a flow state. Mm-hmm. We just don't think of flow states in terms of relationship. We think mm-hmm. of it in terms of, you know, extreme sports or, you know, some other kind of very productive experience. But flow states absolutely happen in relationship too. I love that so much. I never thought about humor as a flow state. I think some people force it. It's so funny. The other night I ran into an old coworker and I, I haven't been in corporate since 2012. So it was like, I really haven't seen that person. And they were just like, Ashley. And my humor was just on because I was light and like Friday night light energy. <laughs> and I was just like, long time no CC, you know? And they were just like, oh my gosh, you're so witty. And I'm like, life's shitty if you're not witty. And- <laughs> I was just feeling really playful and I don't know why I left that being like masculine. It's not a judgment. We have it all. But do I leave with that? Because I lead with my humor. And I don't know. I just posted a meme the other day that was like, do you know how much childhood trauma I needed to go through to be this funny? But I want to talk a little bit about defense mechanisms as it relates to connection. I know you run these men's groups, which I feel like the U-Turn podcast listeners are going to be surging your website, send my partner to this because we need some devotion now. And, you know, there's some level of wanting to fix someone. So I want to ask you about that because somebody might have this awareness of we want more devotion. We want more polarity, masculine, feminine. But where do we begin if I'm totally on board and I want to pour myself into someone? I know there's the beautiful answer of just start to pour into them and they're going to pour back. But sometimes it it just, it feels like you're parting with a wall, you know, like nothing's going on the other side. So what would you say about that? Yeah. It's a trap to think that if they change, I'll give more mm-hmm. because we're constantly moving the bar on our partners. Right. We really are. We really are. It just, it's proven. It's not just me, you know, read Stan Tatkin, read, you know, Gay Hendricks, read Amago there. I mean, it's proven now that we're constantly putting our partners in the positions of our parents and constantly running up against the same wounds. Right. So if we can laugh at that, and we can be aware of that and we can play with that. Um, that's a great, that's a great first step. So the way that, the way that I learned this, and I learned this from a guy who's a spiritual teacher first and a, you know, sexual intimacy teacher second 
but I think this really lands. Any to the sacred, the practice of sacred loving starts when we don't need something to be different. Ugh. And as long as we're hooked into this needs to be different, they need to be different, this moment needs to be different, this relationship needs to be different, the, the great lie is that somehow we can't love more until things change. And, and I've come to believe that is the great lie. Now, that's not to say that some relationships need to end or some boundaries need to be set or some behaviors need to be recognized. You know, that's different. But in the moment, how many moments do we not love? And I was just guilty of this last night. So this is an ongoing lifelong battle, yeah. right? I was just guilty of this last night with my partner. And so how many moments have we wasted because they need to be different so we can give all of our love, so mm. we can love more, so we can open first, right? And if I was going to say anything you know, to your people, it would be the one to go first. How much are you going to lose? In fact, it's safer to be the one loving more. I know people are going to, women especially, are going to be like, no, and, and, and I'm telling you, this is just, you have more, looks, look at it this way. Your nervous system is more regulated. Your brain chemistry is more flowing, right? You are literally in the best state when you're loving more. Mm. And that includes being incredibly vulnerable. That includes bringing heartfelt anger. That includes being in grief. Love is not just happy, skippy, lovey. It's open-hearted, full expression of all the things. We are our best selves, even when we might not look like it, but chemically, biologically, in our nervous system, we are our best selves when we're giving lots of love. And so you can't, you are your best self. You're going to make better decisions. You're going to leave when it's time to leave. You're going to, you know what I mean? Everybody wins, especially you, when you're more loving. Okay. So my final question before we go is around wounding and trauma, because I think there's a lot of people who are in so much processing and so much wanting to have awareness that they're actually not in their king or queen. They're in this wounded, open-hearted, but not integrated, processed thing. And I guess, you know, we got to kind of break down, break through sometimes. So sometimes we're in the undoing to become mm -hmm. who we want to be. But I think sometimes people could mistake someone who is highly conscious for someone who is leading with their pain and their wounding and trying to connect yeah. through that. So can we talk yeah. about that? Yeah, it's a pet peeve of mine, actually. Yeah, like exactly. A, a big, a lot of men's groups are about like expressing your wound. And I think that's totally valid, right? Go in and express your wound, create a container to express your wound. There's a lot of people that, that misplace, you know, vulnerable sharing of their, what they're noticing and what's true for them with consciousness mm -hmm. because being aware that you're like having a self-awareness. Oh, I'm noticing that in our conversation, I'm having these feelings of fear come up or I'm having these things, right? That's, that is awareness. And that is usually valuable. Where the wound comes in is that I keep self-referencing so long and so deep into the conversation that I totally lost awareness of you or I've lost awareness of the dynamic. Wow. I've lost awareness of the space. Good. Yeah. Damn, that's I, good. Because yeah. I've been around some people where they're like identified as with so much depth and so much openness and so much healing and so much connection and so much spiritual growth. 
But then I feel like I'm just meeting them where they are the whole conversation. Yeah. 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 And they're not, they've lost the work. So the masculine gifts to go back to the masculine feminine, their masculine should be aware of, okay, this is probably, I'm now taxing this person's nervous system Yes, with my oversharing and with my self-referencing rather than being vulnerable. And yeah, it's a problem. And I think it's a problem in personal development. It's a problem in sort of in a lot of, you know, kind of spiritual relating. The best thing to do is to keep it to two or three sentences. Wow. I'm noticing that I'm having a, a lot of fear and I'm having jealousy come up around you. Bev, just, you know, and then, you know, maybe there's one or two little exchanges about that and it gets unpacked and then it's done. Oh, thanks for hearing me. Yeah. Yeah. Not this whole, and when I was a kid and then my last relationship, this happened. And at at the end of it, you're just like, you're literally barfing on people. Exactly. Like a spiritual sickness. Okay. Yes. That's not good relating. No, that's that's not not it. Nor good friendship. You know what I mean? Or just like like social awareness, please. Yeah. 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 It makes me think of when I went to Burning Man one time and I was the only person wearing a swimsuit in the communal shower of everybody naked. And I was ashamed for not being comfortable coming into the shower the way I came into the world and people trying to heal me. But (laughs) I sound so triggered by it, but I'm not. It's just- But let me just speak about trauma for a second, right? Because wounds and trauma, that stuff's real. We're all, this is my point. We're all traumatized in some form or fashion. Many of us kind of severely, right? Many of us had many, many, lots of divorces, lots of broken homes, lots of addictions, we're, we're traumatized just simply by the amount of stimulation that we live with. So trauma is real, but so is it in everybody else. And we're all, you know, this is the point, like part of the way to heal trauma is to create, and this goes back to the very first point I made, devotion is to create a foundation of safety where you guys can both work your shit out. Yeah. You can both, I'm, it's just as much about like really good relationship as I am devoted to creating the safest container that we can create so that your inevitable wounds and trauma and my inevitable wounds and trauma, we can be allies for each other in unpacking and healing and transmuting those. Mm-hmm. That's what I think a devotional relationship is really all about. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm three weeks in with somebody. I'm like, how many weeks until I say that? But <laughs> it's on the tip of my damn tongue. This has been. So helpful. You are so good at what you do. I want to hold on to your fucking ankles and do another hour of you. Can you share with everybody where can their partners or where can they find your retreats? Where's the best place for people to start with you? Because this stuff is so needed. Yeah, thank you. The best place to start, I have a really cool subscription service called, uh, it's going to be rebranded the Embodied Relationship Experience. And it's a, it's got a thousand hours of workshop content, me teaching workshops, practices. I've got 30 Brecht practices. I've got masculine practices, feminine practices, couples practices. It's fucking awesome. We're, we've been working on it for five years and we're really proud. So that's a very easy, inexpensive way to get your hands on a lot of me. You'll get tired of me, but not just me, my teaching partners and other people. So that's real easy. That's just johnwineland.com slash streaming. And then you can find my programs. If you do know a man who wants to go and take a deep dive, then I have a once a year program that I do that's six months 
It's a men's program. There's 50 of 50 to 60 guys. We go deep for six months. We go out to the desert together. We go up into Mount Shasta together. We go in and we do all of this work. And that you can just find on my website. We're almost full, you know, probably 10 more spots left, but that starts in January. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much, John, for coming on and, and being back with us. And I have a feeling it won't be the last time you'll be seeing a little email from me begging you to come back. Thank you again. Thank you, Ashley. Great. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-Turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.